Hey everyone, welcome to New School Critics. My name is Chris, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about Ozark, the Netflix series that uh, reminds me a lot of Breaking Bad mixed with House of Cards. And we're going to be talking about season one today, do another video on season two, and then a video on season three, which recently just came out and which I am absolutely loving which makes me happy because I was really hesitant to watch Ozark. Uh, but, you know, when you're married and your partner says, I really want to watch a show, and you keep going, eh, and she keeps saying, hmm, you eventually go, okay, <laughs> whatever makes you happy. <laughs> so uh, because of marriage, I started watching Ozark. And I got to say, I, I got into it. And I was scared because ne two reasons. Netflix shows are brutal <laughs> they either I think they're brutal because Netflix either cuts them off before letting them finish so they're just going along with an audience having a merry time doing groundbreaking stuff and Netflix is like eh, you're done you're over so long like how many shows does that happen to <laughs> or they have a strong first like one or two seasons and then plummet in quality which I often attribute, and I think this is, can happen to anyone, right? You have a lot of time to develop the first season or the initial idea. You spend a lot of time in production or pre-production. You get it all right and perfect. It hits, it's fresh, and then you go, okay, so what's next? Uh, we got to try to top what we did, and there's all these expectations. There's a shorter runway for pre-production and what you can actually write because it may have taken you five years to get the initial idea off the ground, and now you have a year. Uh, and people can struggle under those constraints. That's not a Netflix problem, right? That's just in general. But I do feel like it happens a lot more with Netflix shows that the quality plummets uh, rather than, say, HBO. Um, and, you know, House of Cards comes to mind. Uh, even Stranger Things to me. I, I have some issues with seasons two and three of Stranger Things. Uh, I thought the Marvel shows went downhill like hard. Uh, a bunch of others on there that I've tried watching. So it always makes me scared when I start loving a Netflix show that it's either going to go the way of Mindhunter <laughs> or Love or Master of None and just never resolve or go the way of House of Cards or Orange is the New Black and just reach places where I just Hemlock Grove don't want to keep watching. Um, and then Jason Bateman, I can always be a bit hesitant on. I like him, but I always felt like from 2005 to 2015 that he was just playing the same character over and over again with no real degree of difference in the character, which got really boring. But... I started having a newfound appreciation for him, especially with the movie The Gift, which is this psychological thriller. He's great in it. And then Ozark, I think he really, it's not far off from the character that he typically plays, but there's just a few degrees of difference and nuance to the tone and attitude that it's like the best example of that character, the best version of that character, the most engaging version of that character that I get pretty into it and then season one I, I think 
looking back on it, probably the weakest, but not bad, right? It's just they were starting from the ground floor and escalating to the increased areas of tension and drama that we've gotten to. And I think each season has been better than the one before. I will probably compare a lot to Breaking Bad. I think that's probably the most obvious example. If you haven't seen Breaking Bad, there's going to be some slight spoilers, not grand spoilers, but some slight ones. Uh, The obvious uh, comparison is that you know, Walter White is uh, a heroin dealer or getting involved in the heroin business where Marty Bird and his wife Wendy are getting involved in money laundering. So that's not very similar, but both illegal activities that they start at the ground floor on and start working their way up into more serious roles and becoming larger players in this field to the point where they start to gain real power and influence and how does that affect them? How does that affect their family? Uh, Also, Breaking Bad had the Walter White and Jesse Pinkman, uh, Aaron Paul dynamic that was so popular and so fascinating. Uh, The teacher and the student, the mentor and the mentee, and the dynamic of their relationship was one of the driving forces of the show, if not the main relationship of the show. And you have something similar in Ozark with Marty and Ruth. Ruth also, like uh, Jesse, was kind of down on his luck, bright, but had a complicated home life and situation. But they get involved in this thing that they're very good at and have a knack for. And this mentor-mentee relationship develops and becomes a key cornerstone of the show. So Marty and Ruth have that as well. Uh, Ruth... I mean, Jesse is like a legendary character, and Ruth is such a firecracker. It's hard to compare them, but they definitely have different styles and tones that can appeal to different people. I do think Ruth is arguably as strong of a character as Jesse, even if she doesn't have the iconic bitch line. She just has such an attitude that you get excited every time she's on screen. Uh, and then. The show's development, or like narrative development, I think is really stellar in how they lay everything out, how they make all the characters have uh, value to the show. And that is a knock on Breaking Bad because I thought that a lot of the characters in Breaking Bad lacked narrative value, uh, specifically condemning <laughs> uh, Walter's wife, Skylar, his son, Walt Jr., uh, Skyler's sister Marie and her husband Hank. Like I liked Hank well enough, and he was an important character to the show, especially building up to the final seasons. Uh, one of the greatest moments in the show is like comes from Hank, but so much of it, there's just nothing for them to do that really adds character value. They're just more there for Walter's like plot and story. But I think in Ozark, they really make, uh, what is it, Jonah and Charlotte, the two kids, have storylines that are meaningful and help push the plot forward in a way that just isn't fodder for the emotional state of Marty and Wendy. I mean, that happens, but they're actually legitimate characters with legitimate interests and concerns that relate to not like grand ways, but their subplots are meaningful and end up dovetailing with the main plot quite often. 
And so much of Breaking Bad was Walter hiding what he was doing from his family. And Ozark kind of cuts through that right away by bringing the kids into the situation. They're fully on board and know what's happening, and they have to deal with that. And I could see people complaining about that. Like, oh, would the kids handle it as well as they handle it? Some probably would, and some do, but I do think as the show progresses, you do see the ways in which it's affecting the kids and maybe do dehumanizing them in some ways or numbing them to things that they shouldn't be numb to, what it's robbing them of having experience-wise. Um, I feel like it, those are things that will come back up at some point. But one of the compelling things about this show, and I think one of the compelling things about both Breaking Bad and House of Cards is the escalation that the characters are on, the mission that they're on to go from the place that they're currently at to where they want to be. Like Walter executed and Frank Underwood and Claire Underwood in House of Cards executed. That was the really refreshing thing to me about House of Cards was just watching people that knew what they were doing and knew how to go about getting what they want do those things was cool after watching you know dilettantes amateurs kind of half-ass or discover their way through something like breaking bad was really like great especially as walter started to come into his own and really like kill it you know both figuratively and literally but there was also something about you're watching somebody that you're like eh, okay i'll buy in that he's able to do all these things but with frank and claire in house of cards they just felt so confident and empowered that you never really had to buy into, are these people capable of doing this? They're clearly capable. And there's something with Marty and Wendy that they feel clearly capable. They were already successful in the lives that they had had, but now shit hit the fan and they're thrown into a bad situation and they're able to utilize those same skills that had already made them successful in their life in a new way to become successful again. So taking them from rock bottom and building them up from getting the uh, bar and restaurant that they buy initially to the strip club, to the funeral home, and watching them just solve, 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 and kind of build the world out with the different characters that they meet and how those plots kind of become little short narratives and short arcs. I thought works really well overall. And then you have the whole subplot with the FBI agent, uh, Roy, and his character's downward spiral. And you have that similar tension to Breaking Bad as people, like the cat and mouse game, the hunt. Can the criminals get away with criminal activity or will these good guys find them ahead of it happening? Which adds just another layer of tension to everything because it's not only can they successfully launder the money without the cartel getting pissed and killing them, but can they launder the money without the FBI getting them and how that subplot is going. And having Roy really get involved with Ruth's family and Russ and having that dovetail ultimately in the final episodes to Ruth having to make a decision, does she go with the life that Marty is offering her and the fact that he's giving her an out, that he's validating her intelligence, or does she go with her family, who has, in a lot of ways, devastated her and kept her down? 
like it's opportunity versus uh, loyalty and that's such a rough choice for a character to make but also you know that russ is kind of fucking up in ways like the morality of it when it comes to murder you can feel either way on it right like should it murder should because it's justified but then it becomes like okay is it justified to stop him from killing marty and what's it mean when you're committing murder to stop a murder and you start getting all these layers involved which i thought was really cool when you get to step back from it because not only is it thrilling in the moment but i think it gets a little bit more philosophical when you have to look at the character decisions that it's not just these one-dimensional moments of consequence where like oh she's angry so she kills him but you have these layers built up over the course of the season of the loyalty versus opportunity and the conflict that she's had with Marty, but also the conflict she's had with Russ and what's it mean that Russ is going to kill Marty and what's it mean for Ruth that Russ is working with the FBI agent, you know, and that Ruth could be the one taking the downfall. So there's also this self-interest that comes in there, self-preservation. So to have all those layers come in and develop over the course of that season to that one moment of what will Ruth do, I thought was really well done and was a sign that this show was not only really entertaining, but was on the level of both kind of like aesthetic and shot selection, but also narrative development that this could be stellar. Like this at the end of its run could be up there as one of the best Netflix shows, one of the best shows of the later half of this decade. I don't know if it would have the same iconic status as Breaking Bad, just because there is that Breaking Bad's already done it, but in terms of stepping up in that genre and arguably becoming uh, a better example of how to take this genre to the next level and build on what Breaking Bad did, uh, you could maybe start to make that argument, but it would have a long way to go to get there. And that was one of the cool things. At the end of the season, they had brought in the other family, the Snells. Uh, what is it? It's Darlene and Jacob. And they're terrifying. Like Darlene Snell is legitimately one of the most terrifying characters I've ever seen in a TV show. Every time she's on screen, she's just a maniac, and you don't know <laughs> what she's going to do. And there was that degree of, like, viperness to her character that's there from the beginning. And we know that her and Jacob are willing to murder, that they are maybe not as ruthless as the cartel, but within their area, they are cartel-like in terms of not being afraid and willing to send a message, and willing to murder, and having them enter into the picture as well, to where it's not just, can can uh, Marty and Wendy like launder this money and build up for the cartel and have the cartel breathing down their back? Now they have the Snells, they have the FBI, so you have three sides, and you eventually have them trying to negotiate between the Snells and the cartel, and it seems like it's going to go well, until fucking Darlene shoots the guy. And you're just like, my goodness. My goodness. And the season ends pretty unresolved, like on a cliffhanger because of that moment. 
and what goes on there, but it also really sets the tone for season two and lets you know because Dell, who Darlene kills, had been the guy that was the boss over Marty, right? He was uh, the villain or the antagonist, so to speak. He was the big bad that could Marty ever get like out from under him or get one over him. And for Darlene just to kill him, uh, that really establishes her character, the seriousness of the Snells as villains, but also creates opportunity for a larger villain to step into Dell's place. And I think that's something that we ended up seeing in Breaking Bad too, that you have these lower level guys that Walter's going up against the first couple seasons before we eventually get to Gus Fring, who's one of the iconic villains of TV this century. And I don't know if Ozark has gotten to that point of iconic villain uh, in the showdown that the birds are going to have with an iconic villain, but I could see them reaching that place because the show's of that quality. And Darlene is arguably more terrifying than Gus, I would say, <laughs> though I don't know if she'll ever be as popular as that character was, just given uh, the following that Breaking Bad had at the time. But her really standing tall in that moment uh, sets such a huge tone for season two and lets you know that we didn't peak with where the show was going to go yet. Like, this was just a taste of getting us to the spot where uh, the Bird family is now involved with these people. And the guy that we started the show worrying about as the villain, he's gone. Now we're in this whole new world, and what's that world going to look like? So I also really admire that, that they're able to establish this place and these characters that make you think, like, okay, this is going to be the show. And then so many of them, by the end of the season get wiped out that when you really go into the second season you have fresh faces fresh thresholds for the birds to kind of head over and all new uh dire consequences and tensions set up so i guess we'll leave off there for season one uh great season to establish everything but i really do like where Ozark gets in season two and especially season three like season three has been through the first seven episodes like pretty astounding um very excited about what they're doing so uh, we'll talk we'll pick up more in season two uh, in the next episode but if you have any thoughts questions concerns about season one of Ozark uh, leave them in the YouTube comments or hit me up newschoolchris at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at Kanye podcast and we can talk about those things. And if you want to support uh, the channel on YouTube or the podcast in general, you can do so by liking, subscribing, and commenting on YouTube. All three things let YouTube know that we are a worthwhile channel that people are enjoying. And if you're listening to the podcast version, you can subscribe to the channel on Anchor or just leave a review on Apple. Both of those things definitely go uh, a long way. So appreciate the time. And we'll be back soon. Cheers.